Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Good morning, everyone. Another podcast, another episode of Silver Lining Podcast. Uh, and with me, as usual, uh, Moshe. How are you, Moshe? Very good. Good morning, Ariel. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We still are in the COVID COVID time, a uh, little difficult, but we try to, uh, you know, bring information, bring a uh, good guest uh, to our podcast. And uh, with us today, Dalit. Hi, Dalit. Hi. Good morning, Dalit. Pleasure to have you here. Dalit Ben Israel, partner, head of IT and uh, data uh, protection practice at Nashitz, Brandes and Amir. Did I say all of that correctly? Yes. <laughs> Nashitz, Brandes and Amir is an Israeli law firm. And over there, you're practicing uh, IT and data protection. And... Uh, in the last couple of years, I've noticed uh, it's not a big discovery, but uh, I've definitely noticed that the CISOs, the Chief Information Security Officers, definitely need to go hand-in-hand with their uh, legal department. They usually, on traditional competing, they used to ignore each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I think with the cloud era, th- those things are changing because sometimes your best control is your contract. And I mean, not stuff that in the contract doesn't exist. So I recommend all the uh, security officers that I see that they should st- start uh, having good relationship with the legal department. It's uh, soon it's the Israeli New Year, so the my listeners deliver to your legal department uh, a nice uh, a nice present for the New Year. And uh, bottom line, as I as I said, legal is big, is becoming big uh, control for the information security professionals. And over here, we talk to the lead about how, in cloud environment, in cloud providers, in cloud contracts, how should the the legal stuff interact with the information security stuff? I'm not sure I'm saying this uh, correctly, but let's uh, move on. Hi, the lead. Hi, I think you're right that the I think the the. Today, the collaboration between the information security, the compliance people that sometimes are not purely legal and illegal is uh, super important. And uh, without these three aspects being coordinated, it's very difficult to enter into cloud and IT agreements and to monitor your ongoing compliance and and make sure that you're on the right track so it's definitely a three-party effort sometimes compliance and legal are the same in some of the organizations and in some organizations compliance is separate so all these three need to be able to communicate and talk together and sometimes one activates the other and sometimes it's the other way around Okay, before we dive in just introduce yourself in a couple of words your background what you do in your uh, everyday job So I am a partner heading a uh, practice in uh, one of the Israeli largest uh, law firms. Um, I've been doing IT work and privacy for many, many years. And privacy has become in the last, let's say, three years, a bigger part of, of what I do because of the GDPR in Europe and the privacy laws everywhere around the world, also actually in Israel, where we had new regulations enacted uh, to, to, in an attempt to maintain Israel's adequacy with the EU uh, soon after the GDPR uh, went into force. And I, I'm, I, I negotiate all kinds of cloud-related agreements and IT agreements and provide compliance programs for privacy. A lot of it is related to, to cloud because I think many of the companies, at least the non-traditional and non-enterprise organizations, base their services and their systems on cloud platforms 
around the world so it's it's a major part of what I do the, the, the cloud change so many things <laughs> mm-hmm. okay so Dalit we said that we were going to talk about free topics as much as the time will allow us so we st- we said about uh, we talk we talk about provider choosing how to choose correctly your provider and what are the legal uh, precautions that you need to take uh, signing the contract I mean okay so we chose the provider what are the basically the things that I need to think about when I'm signing a contract and after okay I'm signing the contract and I migrated to the cloud what is the ongoing stuff that we need to work on hopefully we will manage to accomplish all of those free but let's start from the beginning okay so I'm new to the cloud I'm an enterprise somewhere let's talk uh, somewhere in the world and I'm st- starting to look for the my uh, cloud provider what can you tell us about uh, choosing a provider first of all data center location or so it depends I think every organization that needs to map what kind of data is They intend to put on the cloud usually there is business data confidential data but also personal data of different types and the the mapping of the data that is intended to be on the cloud including what kind of personal categories of personal data is included in that data and where the data subjects are located or where they come from is a major um, aspect of choosing your provider and the negotiating the or signing the terms um, proposed and there are cross-border data restrictions in many jurisdictions uh, prohibiting transfer of data to certain jurisdictions or um, defining terms that need to be complied with if data is transferred to a different jurisdiction and basically cloud is we were always told that a cloud is something virtual you don't know where your data is it flows around the world and that's the idea of the cloud especially of uh, major cloud vendors that have backup uh, centers in other jurisdictions then that's a whole beauty of the cloud but because of these things legal restrictions of data transfer in some of the jurisdictions basically a lot of it in Europe uh, we end up when we select a cloud vendor we end up asking them where is my data going to be located where will you host my data where is your backup site and these things have to be defined in the contract and the major cloud vendors now what even when you subscribe online in your small organization you usually have a, an option to In the online terms to choose where the b- major location of your data will be and where your backup uh, data center will be and that's despite the virtuality of the cloud um, I think an, a major aspect of this is a recent court judgment of the uh, CJU which is the European High Court of Justice in what is called the Schrems 2 decision. I think it's been quite famous uh, in the last, uh, it's almost two months, I think. It was at the end of July or mid-July. And basically what that court judgment said is that the transfer mechanisms from the EU to the US of EU personal data um, have been added actually change since that decision what the decision says is that since the US intelligence agencies can access personal data relating to Europeans in ways that are incompatible with EU law the privacy shield which was one of the mechanisms enabling transfer of EU personal data from the EU to the US was cancelled uh, was determined as invalid and 
And this affects a lot of the data transfers from the EU to the US because basically what this, this decision says is that US is not an adequate country for safeguarding most of the EU personal data because the authorities may access the data once it is on US soil or even in transit through the transatlantic cables because of the uh, severe surveillance laws in the US. Nevertheless, the decision enabled continuing use of what is called standard contractual clauses, which are legal terms defined by the EU. Uh, once they are signed, they theoretically grant more protection to the EU data subject, and therefore they were not canceled through this decision, but... And there is a big but. What the court in Europe said is that just signing these is not enough. You need to put in place additional safeguards to make sure that the EU data is safe enough or safeguarded enough when it is in the U.S. And also the data exporter, which means the EU entity sending the data to the U.S. needs to check what, the, what kind of protection the EU data will be afforded in the U.S., which means that for specifically for small organizations or small entities, it's going to be a very difficult exercise and costly exercise to put in additional safeguards, which haven't been prescribed by the EU yet. We're awaiting guidance on that, but what experts say is that probably relates to encryption and other technical means to safeguard the data in a better manner and also to employ legal counsel in the U.S. to tell them or in any other country to which the data is transferred because it applies to any EU export of data to check if the law is uh, protective enough to EU data as it is in the EU. And this could cause small companies... When you say small companies, you mean cloud, cloud, cloud providers? Either the cloud providers that are in the, in outside the EU that are offering services to the EU or startups and smaller companies in the EU that are using US and non-EU cloud providers, it's both ways, um, not to, to export the data. Mm -hmm. And uh, it could be a very, very... It's a legal decision which may cause, from an operational standpoint, a lot of hurdle to smaller companies on both sides of the Atlantic because of the costs and the effort associated with, with this decision. And it basically, this decision has an impact much more than just um, export of EU personal data to cloud providers in the U.S. because... Um, It applies also, for instance, in Israel, because the Israeli law is aligned with the EU data protection law in the sense that e Israel is currently defined as an adequate country in terms of the EU. So there is no prohibition on transferring EU data, personal data, to be stored in Israel in cloud or hosting environments. In order to maintain that adequacy, the Israeli law is defined or regulations are defined in a manner that goes hand in hand with the EU law. So this decision regarding the US could be problematic if, for instance, an Israeli cloud, local cloud provider is a, a branch or a, uh, 
or affiliated with a U.S. provider, and for instance, the data is backed in the U.S., so it will also pose a problem for Israel. Switzerland announced last week that its Swiss uh, uh, U.S. privacy shield, which was the equivalent to the EU-U.S. privacy shield, is does not offer adequate protection for Swiss uh, personal data, and therefore... The, this mechanism for transferring data out of Switzerland, which is not part of the EU, to the U.S. also has to be stopped. So it's, this decision is going to have a, yeah. a, a, a domino effect all over the world. Okay, so uh, trying to, uh, to, to, to get to the, summarize this point, so basically the world is closing in terms of uh, privacy uh, data. Many jurisdictions, we talk uh, mostly about the EU, but other jurisdictions as well, are saying, okay, you have uh, our data, it's, you're not free to take it outside unless uh, you, you have some kind of an agreement or unless you, you verify that the data protection law in the receiving end are the same. So there's all kinds of limitations. We talk mostly about you, but I see this everywhere, right? India and, uh, and California now also have some kind of limitations. California does not have a limitation on the mm -hmm. location sure. they are, but mm -hmm. the CCPA has... A lot of other restrictions that apply to personal data. Mm -hmm. And most of these laws, like the CCPA, the GDPR, now the new law in Brazil that came into effect just mm -hmm. now, have extraterritorial jurisdiction. So if you're a company anywhere in the world and you collect and process data of individuals in those jurisdictions where the laws are extraterritorial to an extent, then you're subject to those restrictions, which, which by the way, could be many other things. Uh, other than the data location. We talked yeah. about the data location, yeah. but these laws affect cloud and hosting agreements in, in many other aspects, such as the rights of the individuals. You are a cloud provider, and now you get a complaint from someone, you know, your big cloud provider, AWS, Google. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they store either one of us data. So you get a complaint by a data subject saying, I want to know what kind of data you hold on me. And these are... Um, rights that these individuals have in their jurisdictions, like in the EU under GDPR, in the CCPA. And these companies now have to deal with these requests. So one of the options, and if we're jumping to what you should do in a, con in a contract, is if you're a provider, you should make sure in your contracts that it is the obligation of the data controller, the company that collects the data, that like the, the employer of these employees or the, the company providing the service to these uh, consumers, that they deal with this request and you just provide, let's say, reasonable assistance or if you can, charge for it. Because otherwise, if you don't deal with it contractually, legally, under some of the jurisdictions, you can be directly responsible to the individual to deal with their rights like deletion, correction, data portability, even telling them what data you have on them, which... Many times, if you're a cloud provider, you don't even know. Okay. I wanna, uh, we can talk about uh, privacy laws and uh, cross-border transfers uh, all day. So I want to move a little bit uh, further uh, down the road, talk about choosing cloud providers. So we understand the data center location is very crucial, especially if you're hosting uh, personal data. Uh, but from other aspects, I mean, it, today it's very easy to board a public cloud provider. I'm putting in my credit card putting on some uh, personal information, next, 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 and up, I'm in. What would you say to, uh, to your customers when they ask, why do, why do we need legal agreement? Uh, okay, so we understand the data center location. We choose the data center in our uh, jurisdiction. What else, what are the gaps that uh, lawyers can, uh, can help bridge on? 
So I think there are two major aspects. One is that most laws and regulations require certain um, requirements in relation to information security, and that's a legal requirement in many jurisdictions. Some jurisdictions like GDPR say you have to have appropriate organizational and security measures, taking into account the kind of data that you are processing and the risks and so forth. So that's general, but it has a lot of details behind it. And if you don't know what you have under your contract in, in terms of data security, uh, encryption, um, periodic uh, penetration tests and, and security audits, then you might not be legally compliant. So you have to make sure that someone that can read these contracts and these terms tells you what you're getting from each cloud provider and it helps you compare. In other jurisdictions like Israel, for example, our regulations, our data security regulations are very, very descriptive. They tell you, for instance, that you have to keep the logs of access to data for 24 months. So somebody has to check if your provider offers that or work around an alternative. For instance, get the logs if there are providers that keep them only for 90 days or 180 days. So negotiate with your provider that they will pro give you the logs to keep so you can keep them for the remainder of the term so you can be legally compliant. And there are many other uh, aspects that, that need to be verified. In addition, some of the jurisdictions such as the GDPR, CCPA, Israeli data security regulations obligate the provider and the controller or the owner of the data to enter into a written agreement that has certain predefined issues under it. So it's not a, uh, an option to have an agreement with your cloud provider. You're obligated under many jurisdictions if you store personal data to have an agreement in place with your cloud provider. And certain of some of the terms are dictated by regulation or by law. And so you also need to verify what your provider offers. And the, the problem is that many small providers don't even provide you a dat data processing agreement. It's called a DPA. That's the, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the nickname for that kind of agreement. So many small providers don't even provide you with their DPA. And they just say, look at my privacy policies on my website. And it has nothing to do with what needs to be in the DPA or doesn't cover most of the things that need to be in the DPA. Um, others just give you their standard or refer you to their online standard DPA. And while many of the large vendors like AWS, Google, and Microsoft have adapted their standard DPA to GDPR, and some of them also to the CCPA in California, it of course is not aligned to every jurisdiction and to the laws in, in every country. And even in Europe, we have to remember that GDPR is the standard and it applies all over Europe. But there are certain areas that the GDPR enabled the specific countries to define specific laws, for instance, for special categories of data like health data. So there, be, there may be more restrictive terms in local legislation. And you do need a lawyer to, to walk over these uh, requirements to map what applies to you and to ma map the gaps of the standard documentation that the provider gives you and the, 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 the gaps, the deltas that are not covered and assist you in mitigating the, the risks. Sometimes if you're large enough, you can negotiate even with these large vendors. Mm -hmm. But if you're a small company, you have no negotiating power. So you have to find ways to bypass that to, an, to the extent it is possible.
Okay, you mentioned uh, signing a contract with uh, Microsoft, Google, or Amazon, the big ones. How would you say it's different from signing a contract with uh, the smaller one, or for, let's uh, put a better example, some kind of software as a so uh, service company, which is basically placed upon some of the large provider? Can you do a back-to-back? -back so that's a very mm -hmm. good question, because what GDPR says, and also the Israeli regulations go, go hand-in-hand with that, is that If you have a processor, like a cloud provider or a SaaS provider, and you enter into the correct agreement with them as defined under the regulations, this DPA kind of agreement, they, the DPA needs to state that they need to enter with all their sub-processors into equivalent DPAs or materially similar DPAs or any such terminology. Mm -hmm. And... This is usually very, very difficult because if you have a SaaS provider that is willing to negotiate with you, maybe even on your own template DPA, and you get reach some kind of an agreement, they usually cannot negotiate a back-to-back -back agreement with their providers. They might, if it's, again, a smaller company, a company that they can deal with, but Google will not negotiate anything with them. The only thing they can do is maybe choose the location of the data center And say that they have a DPA because they can sign the pre-signed DPA Google has on its website. But th that will be it. It will not be fully compliant. And that's the way this, this world works. In any event, when you are the owner of the data or the controller, you cannot verify the whole chain of sub-processors. You the, the, your your sub-processor or your processor needs to provide you a list of its sub-processors, but you don't see the agreements, you don't know what they have signed, and you should be lucky if they just declare that they have appropriate agreements in place with their sub-processors, but if you check this whole chain, and sometimes it's a sub-processor of a sub-processor of a sub-processor, there will be missing agreements, non-fully compliant agreements across the chain, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. Um, moving on, the next topic we we're going to say was signing the contracts. Um, f my first question is, and you already mentioned it. Uh, Negotiation power. Yeah. yeah. You negotiate. So I, I, from my experience also as well, the large provider, the, sorry, the large enterprises can negotiate on certain aspects uh, with the large providers. Um, They can definitely negotiate heavily with the smaller providers. Smaller organizations are the ones that are really uh, in a bad uh, situation. Uh, so, give us a couple of words. When can you negotiate? Uh, how can you negotiate? And uh, what do you negotiate for? I mean, what are the things that you want to put into the contract? So, usually, mm -hmm. you would, even when you have a negotiation, negotiating power, You should list the, the, like, the top 10 things that really disturb you. You cannot negotiate these agreements like you negotiate a regular agreement, adding in writing and adding, uh, changing from 14 days notice to mm -hmm. 30 days sure. notice. No, you shouldn't bother dealing with these. Uh, it's not a regular negotiation. You should give the legal gaps. The legal gaps, and by the way, when we, we started this discussion by saying that the information security team needs to work closely with the legal team. This is usually a joint effort because mm -hmm. these DPAs are usually combined with a legal agreement and exhibits or, or annexes that have more details of the technical aspects of the security. Mm -hmm. So it's, you, you should focus, if for instance, uh, you need the logs for 24 months, so you need to focus on these requirements or you, need, uh, you want the, the data to be encrypted in a certain level of encryption 
you need to focus on those things. Uh, breach notification is one of the very important things uh, that need to be introduced in this kind of DPA. And if it's not there, you need to, to push to have it because in many jurisdictions, EU, US, by the way, and long before the GDPR, mm -hmm. Israel also, you need to notify of certain, let's say, severe data breaches. So you need to be notified by your provider if the leak or the data breach has occurred with a provider. And it's always a hassle. When will they notify you? What will they notify you of every event? What kind of details will they give you? Because sometimes they don't want to give you the full details because it's trade secrets and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think the other most important thing is to check if your provider is obligated to undergo external security audits, penetration tests, and so forth, and to share the bottom line results. Because, of course, the regulations that say that you need to check it, that you need to do the penetration, are not really applicable when it's a cloud. And the, the, the common practical interpretation of this is it's fine. The cloud provider can do it for himself as long as it's not, it's not the cat uh, keeping, uh, yeah. uh, safeguarding the, the, the cream and, and they use some kind of an external firm to do it and they share the bottom line results as confidential information. Mm -hmm. So that was a very important thing to take care of in these kind of agreements. The other aspect that I think needs to be mentioned and it's usually not very negotiable, only maybe in, in very large deals, is the limitation of liability. Many cloud providers, and it's standard in the IT market, it's been a standard forever, limit their liability in the contract. They say we're not liable for indirect and consequential damages, only for direct damages, loss of profit, loss of data. Don't sue us for anything in that respect. And they usually have a cap on their liability. More or less, it's usually the, the consideration for the fees for 12 months. It, could, it differs, but... That's more or less the baseline. Mm -hmm. For data protection, it's a very, very strict limitation if you're looking at it from the aspect of the owner or the controller of the data. Because if your data is leaked and you're liable to, let's say, a class action um, or a regulator fine in Europe. GDPR fining, 4%. Yeah. yeah so it's it's... Not something that you can live with as a controller of the data. Most standard DPAs of global vendors have the standard limitation of liability. The only thing they exclude is maybe bodily injury and, uh, I don't know, damage caused uh, with intent. But they do not exclude um, data protection and confidentiality obligations from their cap and their disclaimer of indirect and consequential damages. This is very, very problematic. Sometimes you can um, compensate if you have appropriate cyber insurance, but cyber insurance is very expensive. The deductible that you have to pay as the insured when there is an event is also a very high amount. And many small organizations don't bother to buy cyber insurance. So it's, it's always a, a balance. I, I can say from my experience that when I represent banks and insurance companies and big companies, we do negotiate and we get a better. In the past, way, way back, we could have gotten unlimited liability for this kind of liability. Nowadays, it's almost impossible with any kind of vendor. You usually but get a very uh, much higher cap, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which could be in line with the provider's cyber insurance. So it would be in millions or in million up to millions, and it wouldn't be like the fees you pay for the cloud storage for, for 12 months. 
Yeah. But it's a very big issue because you have negotiated the entire contract. People talk to you. You have your breach notification, your uh, security controls. You have a contract that you're, you're happy with. It's compliant with the laws that apply to you. And then you have this very low liability what, in case the, the vendor breaches the, the contract. And that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, but no solution except regulation to that. I mean, unless yes. uh, somebody will interfere in this contract. Apart from insurance, yes. Yeah, I think cyber insurance is a couple of years uh, away from being mature and helpful for organization. I don't think that uh, we are there yet. It's definitely a good control, but uh, it will take a couple of years to be matured uh, until we, I don't know. But I think if you, if you look at that mm-hmm. together with what you do with the ongoing and make sure that you do the controls and the tests mm-hmm. and the surveys or that your provider does it. And you don't just sit back and say, I signed a contract with a cloud provider and it's a well-known cloud provider and I'm fine. I'm, I'm in the same uh, place as uh, all of my competitors and many, many larger companies than I. That wouldn't be wise because at the end of the day, data breaches occur and security breaches occur. It's not illegal or... Liability does not arise just because a security incident occurred. But if you did not employ the reasonable efforts and the legal uh, things that you were supposed to do, then you may be liable. So if you did what the law prescribed and you checked, I don't know, Israeli law prescribes even a term. You have to do these, che- these surveys within 18 months or mm-hmm. 24 months. It depends on the data that you, that you have or you do it yearly, and you train your people in order to avoid human error, which is also an issue, mm-hmm. and you have them sign NDAs, and you do whatever is expected of you, the probability of being liable either to pay penalties to an authority or to pay something in an individual lawsuit or a class action is reduced because you have employed what is reasonable and what is expected mm-hmm. of you, and since... This field of information security is an evolving field. You have to keep up to date. You have to be aware of new cyber threats. You have to employ the required measures or make sure that your provider does that. And then you're in a better place. It's, you're not immune, but you're in a better place. It's a shared responsibility and you have to do your responsibilities in order to make a stand on anything. Or verify that the provider does that his is. part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you need to do your thing. <laughs> um, one word, quick word about uh, dispute resolution. I see many customers fighting and uh, trying to get the dispute resolution uh, location. Is, is that important? I think the most important thing is to have an internal dispute resolution procedure in the, in the agreement before anybody goes to a court or arbitration. That's mm. even more important because sometimes people jump to, to, to legal action and they don't try and solve the, the matter internally. So I think having some kind of an escalation process and having contact uh, people under the, the contract saying who you can contact, who's a higher hierarchy in, in the, the dispute resolution to discuss um, is, is very important. The legal venue of a dispute is, of course, important because sometimes because the venue is far away and litigation there is expensive, nobody invokes the contract and nobody sues. Mm-hmm. So that could be an issue. There has been, there is case all over the world, also in Israel, relating to if you have a foreign jurisdiction clause in your contract and it's a standard contract that was not negotiated, what is its validity? 
can it be enforced and we have seen cases of uh, Facebook and of other uh, there is a recent one in Israel of Google saying that the international uh, venue is It will be uh, enforced even mm-hmm. if the contract has been entered to, into in Israel with the Israeli affiliate of a company because these international companies, they want to have one place to figure out all their um, disputes. And they don't want to have um, different decisions in different jurisdictions saying that these measures are appropriate in Israel, but they're not appropriate mm-hmm. in uh, Germany and they are yeah, not appropriate in the U.S. So, Based on that logic and other legal uh, mumbo-jumbo, it was, uh, it's usually, in, in many cases, it's enforceable to have these international uh, dispute resolution provisions. And it, it, it's very problematic because what it means at the end of the day is that if you have standard terms and conditions with an international vendor that sends you to California to, to litigate, And you're a mid-sized Israeli company, you won't sue the vendor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll skip that. Okay. Okay. So we talk about uh, uh, the provider choosing, uh, also about the signing, signing contract. contract. We have five minutes to do the ongoing contract management. So I think we refer to it a bit when we said that we need to verify that our provider is in compliance with the the contractual obligations, mainly mm-hmm. in the in terms of data security, security checks, and, and, and so forth. Uh, also, I think a company has to be aware if there is any change in the type of data, categories of data, location, geographic location of data subjects, because it might change the requirements. I mean, we started a contract with only storing the Israeli mm-hmm. data on a cloud in Europe. And now we are also transferring data, I don't know, from Brazil, and there is a new law in Brazil. So we have to be on top of things and to check. If we need to change the contract, we need to change the location of the data center, which is usually possible with an international cloud vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have sensitive data like health data, and suddenly we do have health data on the cloud. So we need to check if we need additional safeguards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also... Keep track of changes published by the cloud vendor on their website. I- I'm not talking only about the legal agreement that, for instance, due to the Shrems 2 decision, Google, AWS, and, and such companies published a new updated agreement on their website, a DPA, and, and uh, sent notification to their uh, customers. You're free to download and, pre- and sign the... The pre-sign countersign the pre-sign the uh, DPA that is now in compliance with the Shrems 2 decision no privacy shield other than that the list of subprocessors is being updated on these websites all the time the list of security measures these contracts are very very difficult to decipher because usually you have the DPA you have tons of links in it that refer to another document that has a link to another document it's like you can sit all day just to figure out the Through these ve- international vendors websites what are the all, all the terms that apply from time to time you need to check it you need to check what has changed if something causes you to be non-compliant and to see how you mitigate that risk mm-hmm. usually you have these large vendors have usually have uh, portals where you can get updates you can list to get the updates by push notification to your email or you just have to put somebody in your organization to do it once in a while and From my, my one little story, I had a, a startup uh, going on one of the biggest uh, cloud providers, and we start talking legal. 
after the second talk, I said, okay, let's bring someone that uh, can really help. Because really, the, all the links, it's, it's very difficult for someone that uh, knows the, the expertise and uh, know how to do it. Okay, so trying to summarize everything we just talked. The biggest challenge these days because of Shrem 1 and Shrem 2 now uh, is the data center location. I mean, it's, it's our biggest challenge. If you're in Israel, you have no way today to save it in the United States. I mean, no, sorry, no way. Challenges in saving the United States, Switzerland, Britain, EU, everybody are closing in and uh, they want to keep their data inside. So uh, moving data between jurisdictions is the biggest challenge. A challenge and it's not going to be solved soon so consult with your lawyers about uh, your data center location based on your data types uh, other aspects of uh, that of uh, choosing a uh, choosing cloud provider it's very different if you choose a small provider or a large provider you're looking into a different struggle different process different contract different ways to uh, to negotiate it uh, when you're talking uh, with software as a service easier to negotiate but But you have to list all their uh, sub processors and all their uh, cloud providers and everybody that touches the data which is a hard challenge uh, what else did we talk about signing contract uh, first of all you can negotiate if you're a large enterprise if you're a smaller uh, enterprise might be harder again uh, depends who the provider is and always remember your end of the shared responsibility model and you need to track um, You need to be responsible for your side of uh, things. What else did we uh, did I fail to mention ongoing uh, ongoing uh, relationship uh, monitoring, always check if there are changes to the policy, always check on your end if you change the data types, right? If you change uh, maybe different uh, data subject, maybe different uh, communities are now joining in and you need to choose the new data center or another data center location. And again, uh, very always check that something changed with your provider and something changed on your end. Anything else we missed? No, I think that more or less summarizes it. Okay, okay. do you want to add something? Uh? I think that uh, to summarize the, the process of choosing a vendor and monitoring compliance, again, has to be a joint group effort of all the people involved. I think it is good to appoint somebody in the organization To be in charge and to activate all the other people in the organization so uh, the monitoring the compliance and you reach the contract signature in a in a reasonable period of time because this process from my experience could take quite a long time mm-hmm. we didn't mention but there are also specific sectorial regulations in different parts of uh, like for business banks and uh, in the US for for health data and so forth so this is also a challenge to choose a provider that is compliant with these requirements and sometimes it's you have to start with screening your providers and seeing who has the the appropriate uh, information security controls relevant to that specific data if you are in a regulated industry so that's also something uh, to take into account we didn't mention it in in our uh, yeah. in-depth discussion. Okay, so basically privacy laws, um, broad level regulation and sector regulations, those are basically yes. the levels that we need to look at. And, and of course, um, mm. all kinds of standards like ISO 27001, mm-hmm. these enable you to, to check your compliance or to say that you're compliant with many of the legal requirements. Mm-hmm. It's, not a full, it's not 100% coverage, but under these... Uh, 
various uh, security standards, you have all these pen tests and, and um, information security procedures, and, and you have at least partial or a, a good part of the compliance done through those. Mm-hmm. So that's also something that if your data center or your cloud provider is certified and willing to contractually commit to continue to be certified or replace one standard with another if they choose to, then it gives you a lot of reassurance that many of the requirements are, are covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the standards are very important. I think that today, uh, so, so even smaller software as a service provider that needs to sell to an enterprise, they must have either SOC 2 or ISO 27.1. Exactly. That's for sure. We had a good podcast about it. <laughs> okay Dalit so uh, thank you very much thank, thank you. you very much thank and uh, thank you all for listening bye bye